morning, church. That was a good good morning. You guys are awake. Look at that. Excellent. Good Christmas vacation then, I see. Well, let's pray. Lord, we pray that your words today would speak to our hearts, that we would let go of what we ought to let go of, and that we would take hold of that which we ought to take hold of. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, that was a recap of Exodus for us. So if you missed out on a Sunday here or there throughout the fall, that's where we've traveled. And you kind of see where we're at and where we're going. And so today we're looking at the golden calf. And we'll be covering the chapter in Exodus 32 for that. And I will say thank you to Hope Church of Toronto. <laughs> uh, I emailed them as I found this video and they said, yeah, you can use that. So um, that was not my technical ability. We saw, though, we saw the start of bondage of the people of God. And then we saw their deliverance in that video. And then it ends by being in the presence of God. And that's what we came into Christmas with and New Year's about God with us. What's it mean to be in the presence of God and to be a dwelling place? The word tabernacle means a dwelling place for God, not just individually, but as a community. And the people of God learn that on Mount Sinai. They're learning the commandments that God has for how they can be this people of God, how they can dwell with God in the tabernacle and as a holy nation, as a holy people. And those commandments, in a way, are commitments of love to God and to each other. But we might wonder, is it really something that people do these days? We'll look at today that the Israelites make a golden calf and they worship it. And for us, that might be a little foreign. And so we'll go to the next slide here, is that people do make golden calves. <laughs> this one's actually made out of bronze. It's called the Bull of Wall Street. And you just think about the different things people make and do with their lives. And as we look at today, it's not just this calf of gold that the people go wrong with. It's an ideology underneath it. They're declarations of the heart that's underneath it. And uh, I was in New York City a couple years ago, and we couldn't even take a picture of it. There was a long line to go take a picture of it. And we weren't allowed to budge or whatever. I guess it was a single file line. Anyways, but people were fascinated with that. And um, yeah, I just think of this image as a picture of our sin. So we left off in chapter 24 of Exodus, even though it says Matthew. That's my fault. And so in Exodus 24... They stand in the presence of God. Moses goes up with the elders of Israel, and they see God. They have a covenant meal with God. They atone for their sin with an altar. Just kind of like we had the Lord's Supper last week, they had a covenant meal in fellowship with God. And it even says what he looked like in a throne room of blue sapphire as he 
manifested himself on Mount Sinai. Just amazing. Just amazing. I would love to take that view in on top of Mount Sinai. I would love to sit there and ponder that. And God gives these instructions in Exodus 24, beginning of 12. He tells Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay there. So they've come up the mountain, but now Moses is about to go to the very top to learn from God the vision of community of love that God has for them. And then in verse 14, in the beginning, Moses told the elders, okay, you stay here and wait. They've been in the presence of God, and the instructions are to stay and to wait. The rest of verse 14 says that until Moses comes back, Aaron is supposed to stay behind and any disputes are to go to him. But Aaron's supposed to stay on the mountain with the elders. And then in the next verse, in Exodus 24, 18, it says, Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed up higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I made reference to that last week in communion. We took a little longer time, and I don't know if that was uncomfortable or not to have extended time of silence. Sometimes it is when we're moving too fast. 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, just imagine taking this whole Sunday on top of a mountain. The whole day. What your heart would do. Imagine it if it was five or six weeks on top of a mountain in the presence of God, pondering the commitments he wants you to make with your life. And so that's what's happening here. And Moses remained. I think of John chapter 15, the vine and the branches, where Jesus says, remain in me, right? Remain in my love. At the end of the day, that's what's required of Moses to get this right. And so we'll go to the next verse. So now all of a sudden we're in Exodus 32. So what happened? Well, there was seven chapters in the middle there of God giving instructions to Moses of the dwelling place that the people of Israel are to build for the Lord. It's called the tabernacle. It's a big tent where the presence of God was going to manifest and people could come and make atonement for their sin. They could meet with God. God was going to dwell with them. And it was going to be a communal thing. They were all going to pitch in. There's seven main pieces to this plan and it's going to require people to give offerings of gold and to bring their skill and effort into this. Well, Here's what's happening now. The narrative picks up in chapter 32 while Moses is up, up on the mountain. Remember how Aaron was supposed to stay where he was? Uh, he didn't stay. He did not remain in the presence and love and fellowship of God. So in verse 1 it says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come down the mountain, it was taking too long, it says, they gathered around Aaron. I don't know if that made Aaron uncomfortable or if that made Aaron excited, right? You might be like, wow, 
finally some due respect here. <laughs> well, either way, they said, come on. They said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Aaron has come off the mountain. He's coming off the tracks <laughs> that he's supposed to run on. And here enters idolatry. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we flip the light switch off, there's an absence that happens. That absence of being committed in love to God and to our neighbor is called sin. It's called darkness. It's called idolatry. And so that absence and then in verse 2 here we see what begins to happen Exodus 32 oh I'm sorry verse 7 we'll move to that so the Lord tells Moses up on the mountain he says quick go down the mountain your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves how quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live Man, I'm bothered by the fact that God said, your people whom you brought. We'll look at it in next week further. In 33 and 34, God keeps talking like this. He keeps saying, your people. It's like he doesn't recognize them right now. He doesn't recognize them as his people, his dwelling place, because they're not being his people in his dwelling place. We see it in Exodus 31, verse 1. God tells Moses, the people you brought from Egypt. And these people, they're forsaking how quickly they've turned away. They've forsaken these commandments. They've forsaken these commitments. They couldn't wait 40 days to hear from God. They had to be more productive than that. They became an idol factory. If you're in a place in your life in this new year where you need to just slow down, you feel like God's calling you in that season, please take it. Please take it. And I'm speaking to myself here. To follow that example of Moses rather than of Aaron. Because when Aaron came off the mountain, he was no longer grounded. He was no longer rooted. And if you are no longer grounded or no longer rooted, people or temptations are going to gather around you. They're going to say, come on, let's make other gods. So Moses ends up coming down, and as the story unfolds, God is very angry at this. And Moses starts to make intercession for the people. As he comes down the mountain, he's along with his assistant Joshua. And some of you might know this story, but Joshua says, is that sound of war in the camp? Remember, Joshua was a fighter. Is that a sound of war in the camp? 
And Moses, even more sadly, says, no, it's a song. It's the sound of song. Just like that chapter 15 where people yelled, gaha, gaha, God has won. They're singing to the golden calf, claiming that it brought it, them out of Egypt. They're forsaking the Lord in laughter and, in, and excitement. And Moses takes the tablets with God's commands on them and he shatters them on the ground in frustration. So how did it come to this? Go to the next slide. I'm going to pick out in this chapter ten pieces as we look at what Israel did. And they weren't the ten commitments that God had for them to love him and to love others. These are ten commitments they made to the absence of loving God and loving others. And so the first one, we'll rewind just a bit back to verses two through three. In their gold, in their resources, they did not offer them to the Lord as they were going to be told to do for a tabernacle. They didn't do with their money what God wanted them to do with their money, and it became a snare to them. And Aaron said to them in verse 2, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives, sons, and daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Now back in chapter 25, God is telling them, telling Moses, Bring me their offerings. Here they're bringing an idol their offerings. And back in chapter 25, as it introduces this idea of a dwelling place for God, saying, build for me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. Instead, they're going to be building a golden calf. And so the first place they go wrong is the commitment of their resources. Instead of giving to God, what is God's? Just like what Moses did back in chapter 3, I think, when God said, what's in your hand? It was a staff. He said, lay it down before me. He did on this very mountain. He held on to it. These folks are holding on to what God has given them, and it's becoming a snare to them. Next one. I put a commitment to bad theology. Verse 4, Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, this, these are your gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's not true. But that's what they believed in their theology, and therefore their affections and their actions followed. What's really scary is in the, the next verse we show you, they end up saying, this is Yahweh. I couldn't believe that. How scary is that to think that you're worshiping the true God when you're not? It makes me think of Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where... Moses, just like, or Jesus, just like how Moses ascended the mountain and taught about the commitments of love, 
Jesus ascended the mountain in the Sermon on the Mount and shared the commitments of love. And in chapter 7, at the end of this, he says, I want you to know, not everyone who cries to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do my will. There's deception out there. It's a great deception in America. Nominal Christianity. On the outside it looks moral, but on the inside it's destined to hell just like anyone else that doesn't know Jesus. I rejoice when people live shalom and what God has called us to be is his dwelling place. But it has to come from those remaining on the mountain who are abiding in Christ, who know him and who will live forever. Otherwise, to me, it's just as sad. So, we've covered two of the workings of idolatry. Let's continue. Here's some peer pressure in verse 5. It says, Aaron saw how excited the people were. Woohoo! So he built an altar in front of the calf, and he announced, you know what? Tomorrow we will have, well, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. That word Lord there is Yahweh. I just want to reflect real quick here. Remember those Ten Commandments Moses was carrying down? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of Yahweh. That's happening right here. Honor the Sabbath day to the Lord. They're having a Sabbath day to something else, aren't they? Aren't they just breaking them? Isn't it such a golden reversal? <laughs> Instead of following the golden rule of loving God and loving neighbor, they're following an idol in the exact same ways. And that's why we ended sermon last week saying that your time and money and affections this year, in 2023, no matter what resolutions you make, they are going to go somewhere. It might unintentionally go to the wrong places if you don't place them where they ought to remain. I think about how excited these people were. Often that's a clue into what our idols might be. What makes or breaks your day? I remember I was having a lousy day as a ninth grader in high school. And my mom could tell I was putting up a stink. And then all of a sudden, a package came in the mail, and it was my new green backpack with an Air Jordan swoosh on it. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> and my attitude just flipped right around. Now, a mom could say, oh, thank goodness, redirection here, right? But she kind of saw what was going on, and she asked me, she said, Rob, why did your attitude just flip? answer was because of the green backpack. Now the root of that idol was not that I liked the color green or that I liked backpacks. I was excited to strut the halls at my new high school wearing a backpack that said, I play sports. 
if you really think about the idols, what's really at the root of it, right? I mean, these people, they can't wait 40 days for Moses. What's really their idol? Maybe it's impatience, right? Maybe they're medicating themselves to feel better by having a golden cap. But maybe it's something in their past. Maybe they haven't truly reconciled some of those hurts and hang-ups from when they were in Egypt and Pharaoh was harsh with them. And they're asking, was God really with us? Idols have a way having roots that don't go straight down. It's like when you pull up a tree in your garden that has roots. All of a sudden, it, oh, it's over here. Oh, it's over there. It's just moving all over the place till you finally figure out where the source of that is. It's like the dashboard of your car that says that you need an oil change or that there's an engine problem. And so you open up the dashboard of your car to figure out what's wrong with that light. It's not the light. It's a symptom. It's a signal saying there's something wrong under the hood. If you ask the heavenly mechanic to get in under the hood, it might be uncomfortable. You might end up hearing news that's a bigger fix than replacing a light bulb. But that work is worth it. Because you can live free. And you can go the distance in this thing called life. We'll carry on here. There's another symptom, a signal, something on the dashboard that says there might be something wrong under the hood. And that is, what are you sacrificing for? What are you willing to sacrifice for? It says here in verse 6, the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. They are given sheep, cattle, they're offering their gold, all of which God had just spent seven chapters sharing, you should offer that elsewhere to me. They're willing to sacrifice for other things. I think about that with my family a lot. That quality time with my wife and my daughter is important. And there's times when I notice that stuff gets in the way of that. Maybe I think I need a, some entertainment in my life to watch YouTube or something or, or put extra time on my sermon. <laughs> but I just have to think, okay, how much are you sacrificing? Are you willing to sacrifice your family for this? Are you willing to sacrifice your time with the Lord for this? Then that's called an idol. Other commitments that will lead us astray. Verse 32, 6 says, after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. 
Here's a really good quote I want to give you. It's from about a thousand years ago by a German pastor named Meister Eckert. He says, The reason we're not able to see God is the faintness of our desire. What what does that mean? Others have said, I forget who. But that we don't pursue God because of our lack of desire. That we're not actually serious for true joy. We're willing to put up and be complacent and lazy with the superficial. God is the best thing there is, and he knows it, and he wants you to have it. So if we're serious about joy, we will pursue him. And the things we enjoy, the things we celebrate, are a sign of our affection in our heart. And they could be a clue as to what an idol might be. I think a really interesting thing when I meet people, I remember what they enjoy. Like I know my dad really likes, he really enjoys chocolate ice cream. You know? He enjoys going to church. As a kid, when I said, I don't want to go, go, I love going to church. I remember that. Not just what he did, right? But the example he set of what he enjoys. And I knew that my dad enjoyed me. Those are the things that you remember about people. And Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you place and train your heart to taste and see that the Lord is good. And you will be able to enjoy him forever. Amen, church. Amen. Other ways to get our commitments wrong. At the end of the chapter, Moses comes down and confronts his brother. I don't know what kind of relationship there was between these two brothers. Okay? I have three brothers, and I know that there's often plenty of context that goes into our conversations that stem back 30 years, right? But Moses confronts Aaron, and Aaron says, Oh, Moses, don't get so upset. He minimizes what's happening. Another sign of commitment towards idolatry. And then he blames others. He says, you know yourself how evil these people are. The first words of verse 23, the next verse, he says, they said to me, let's make gods. He's blaming others. He doesn't want to look at himself. But the scary thing in this thing called life Sometimes we don't see ourselves. Someone told me that idolatry is kind of like bad breath. Everybody else can see it, but the one who has it. 
That's why in God's beauty, his plan for local churches to be gathering places for his dwelling spirit is so beautiful. Because for those who are serious about joy, who are serious about enjoying God forever, can get a real picture of what's under the hood. When you're connecting in real relationship with others in this church, sometimes it might be uncomfortable. Sometimes someone might reveal to you that you're not as wonderful of a gift to the world that you think you are. And I hope they do it in love. And I hope that they do it committed to you, right? Saying, I'm going to stay in this with you, even though. (laughs) But for those who are serious about joy, you'll lean into that kind of community. And yet it's scary. It is scary. But I'd rather do that than do what Aaron's doing. He doesn't have a clue as to what he's doing in his life. He doesn't have a clue what his commitments are. In Numbers chapter 12, we see more insight into his character. He tells Moses, is God the only one who, does God only speak to you? Are you the only one who can lead? And he gets jealous, and it becomes a big problem as he competes with his brother. Here's the last one. Verse 24, excuses and lies. So here's continuing Aaron's response. He says, well, so I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. The start of the story is true, right? Good for you, Aaron. How about you finish the story? He says, well, then they brought it to me. I simply threw it into a fire, and out came this calf. I mean, if you think I'm paraphrasing this or something, just look in your Bible. Any translation, you'll see, you'll see this concept come out. <laughs> it sounds childish, doesn't it? I mean, for those raised kids, it's like, how did the box of Oreos get tipped over on the ground? I don't know. I just fell out of the cupboard. Okay, how did they get into your mouth? I don't know. I just, I started to chew and I tasted something crunchy and sweet. It's like, it's the same thing. Because Moses perplexes me too. Out came this calf. Right? Yeah, what are we going to do about it? I don't know. I don't even know how to happen. It's like, come on, come on. Go to the next slide here. I was thinking about this. You know, there's so many themes throughout Exodus that we can be tying in. It almost gets harder to do the further along we go, right? But I just think about when Moses was first called on this very mountain of Sinai was where the burning bush was. And he was called on a purpose to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. That message is still the same. 
But it's not Pharaoh enslaving these people. It's their own hearts making commitments to where they shouldn't be. And so I think the message for the church today, let your idol go. And I challenge you, I'm pretty sure if we sat down and chatted, if you said, Pastor, let's chat in your office sometime this week, we sat down and talked, I'm pretty sure that what's going on in life has very little to do about a golden calf. I'm pretty sure that there's roots, as in my life, that go all over the place. Let them go. There's some reason you think you need it. There's often some bad theology where if you really thought it through, you would say, what I say here about God is not what I am saying here about God. And the beauty of the Holy Spirit is that if you ask Him to reveal that to you, he will. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit is sent to those who accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior to remind us of the things from His Word and to correct us, to convict us of sin. Certainly, you can go ask other people in your life to help you see that. And I hope they do so gently in your life. But ultimately, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that the eyes of your heart can be opened. And you can see what true beauty is. That you can see what true joy is in life. Just as Moses stayed on the mountain of God, and saw God face to face. He knew that this was the real thing. I remember in my middle school years on a mission trip having an experience with God and it confirmed in my heart that this was real. That this is what life was about. I pray each of you have had one of those moments where the eyes of your heart were opened that by grace you were given the faith to see God for who He is. If you haven't had that yet, you can ask God for that. And if it's been a while since you've seen that, if that light switch has been off, you can pray God flips that switch again and opens the eyes of your heart to remake your commitments of love to him and to each other so that as a church we can be a dwelling place 
of God and of shalom, both now and forever. Galatians 5, verse 1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for courage to every heart here. When confronted with our sinfulness, it is a daunting task. It is a gap and a chasm that we cannot reach the other side by ourselves. But Jesus Christ, the cross, stands as the bridge between us and God. And therefore, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. So again, I pray for courage to every heart. I pray against any fear. And I pray that you remind us of grace. Remind us of true joy and life. And that we can dwell with you forever. So give grace to our church in Jesus' name. Give mercy to our church in Jesus' name, and give holiness to our church, in Jesus' name, that we might rightly see you. Amen.